Hello and welcome to the 66 to 87 podcast. It's Friday. This is Tom Reed and I am joined by Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari. And we're going to have Colin Stevenson from Newsday a little bit later to kind of preview the Rangers two games coming up, I believe, on Sunday and Tuesday. But And I really don't like to just spend one segment on a game that was played on Thursday night. But wow, Uh, 3-0 lead in the first four minutes last night. And you're thinking there's probably a lot of people that already had banked those two points, Taylor. And Philadelphia comes back and scores four consecutive goals uh, in regulation uh, to win four to three. What happened in, in your opinion, uh, to go from three, nothing to losing four, three without even getting the losers point in this game? Yeah. I mean, that, that has to be probably the most deflating loss of the season. I, if, if it's not, I can't think of one that's, that, that's been worse. Uh, you know, the, the message in the, in the post game was just, you know, they took their foot off the gas. Um, I know some people point to that power play after the, the failed power play after the third, uh, the third Penguins goal, the Penguins power play that, uh, didn't get a, a, a goal. It kind of took the momentum uh, out of the play, but then Latang and Crosby are pretty adamant that that wasn't uh, really uh, a, a real factor here. Latang said twice that, you know, they still had 50 minutes out to play after that. Um, and then Crosby, he said it would be a reach to say that, you know, that was really what went wrong here. I mean, it didn't help if they, if they could have gotten a goal there. Uh, I mean, four nothing would have been pretty hard to come back from, but yeah, that was, that was just tough to watch. Dave, um, obviously three goals in the first four minutes of the game and the Flyers take a timeout. And I think for all the world, you're thinking they're going to make a goalie change, but they don't, they stick with Brian Elliott and you could see Elaine Vigneault on, on, on the bench pointing to the scoreboard saying, look how much time's left. We have plenty of time in this game. And I know you should always protect a 3-0 lead that early, but there was so much time in this game. The game had just started. Uh, do you think, uh, as Taylor said, as some of the Penguins were saying, that they took their foot off the gas in this game? Oh, I, yeah, I, I think that's safe to say. I also have to say I'm, I'm one of the people who thought that that power play was the pivotal point in the game. Not so much because the Penguins didn't score, uh, but because the Flyers used the penalty kill to regain their composure and come out of it with a degree of confidence. And, right. you know, they had the better of play, you know, from then on. Um, I don't think it was imperative that, uh, that the Penguins score on that power play, but they not only don't get goals on, you know, a reasonable percentage of their power plays, they very rarely generate any momentum out of them. You know, it's their play with the, with the man advantage this season has just been inexplicably and inexcusably poor. And Taylor, we talked about that the last show too. I think the Flyers, the Flyers do get a power play goal to kind of get back into that game. I think Sean Couturier's, uh, shot uh, makes it three to one. It gives them a chance to get back in the game. So again, the Penguins do not score in the power play and they give up a power play goal that allows Philadelphia to claw back in the game. And again, special teams, we've been, we've, we've been talking about it for the last couple of weeks. They've got to get this short up. Again, there's still plenty of time left in the season, but at some point this has got to get turned around, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, the special teams, um, kind of like a microcosm of the playoff season, just so inconsistent. I mean, especially the penalty kill. Um, you know, like they were in Washington against the league's top power play, and their penalty kill was, I mean, incredible. Like that, that first game, they had two, the Caps had two opportunities and um, didn't get a shot off. And then, uh, and then they went to New York and it was bad again. And then this first game against Philly, uh, the PK was was uh was good again and then you know they give up that goal here um I, I don't know it just the the inconsistency and, and and Sullivan was asked about that too um the inconsistency of play you know from game to game and 
uh, what can really be done about that? And he said if uh, he had the answer, he would probably be able to fix it. Um, so I don't know uh, that what that means, like what you, where you go from here. From our friend Bob Grove, who is kind of the pseudo historian for the Penguins, uh, this stat from last night. And again, the Penguins go to the third period with a 3-2 lead. First of all, I was absolutely shocked they've only had a lead after two periods three times this year. Dave and I, Dave Molinari and I were texting back and forth. I was absolutely stunned that they've only had a lead going into the third period uh, three times, which I think only Nashville uh, uh, on Thursday night had, had had fewer leads going into the third period with two. But the stat was prior to Thursday night, the Pens were 108 Zero and two, 108, zero and two over the last 110 games, regular season games at home when leading after two periods. This dates back to early in the 2014 season. Now I want to share a text with you from Dave Molinari after I had mentioned this uh, about how rarely uh, they have had leads. He said, yes, they're three and oh. But they'll be lucky to be. They'll. It'll be. They could be three and one, and they could be lucky if they're three zero oh and one. Dave, why did you think Philadelphia was going to come back and either win this game or at least get it to overtime? Because by the second intermission, it was clear that they were completely controlling play, and the only reason the Penguins took a lead into the third period, and for that matter. Uh, didn't give up the game-winning goal until there was less than three minutes to go in regulation, is that Tristan Jari played extremely well. Uh, I mean, this, <laughs> amazing as it is, considering how the game started, this could have been a pretty much of a blowout win for the Flyers if Jari hadn't played as well as he did. Um, it, you know, you could see, uh, you know, by the time the second intermission arrived you know trying to hold hold up back the flyers was going to be like trying to hold off the ocean with a tennis racket you know it, it just wasn't happening it, it was it really seemed like a matter of time and you know i thought that it would be a uh, you know a huge plus for them if they could somehow lose in overtime or a shootout if they if if jari could hold them in there long enough for that to happen and it, you know he nearly did, but uh, it wasn't because of any support he got from his teammates. Taylor, there was a point midway, a little less than uh, 10 minutes left in the third period where Evgeny Malkin one-on-one with Brian Elliott, and you're thinking, surely here, 4-2. Uh, doesn't score, and that's – I wasn't ready to join Team Dave at this point. I thought that they might still be okay. But when he doesn't score there, one of your best players, uh, and a one-on-one clean look at the goal, I thought, oh, my, that this, you know, again, Philadelphia might be able to, to pull this off. Certainly don't want to pin this loss on Malkin, but it's one of those moments where one of your best players is one-on-one with goalie. You're, ho- you're hoping as a fan and for the team – that they're going to score there. Yeah, I mean there there are a couple you you can't pin any any one moment that no, power no, play no. more than one. Yeah, on 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 what went wrong here, but I mean there are a couple of things and you know if if you know it had just gone their way that would have been huge. Um I mean Malkin Malkin getting that goal certainly would have would have been it. Another thing that I think kind of, you know, killed the momentum was like losing uh Mark Friedman um no. who I mean he he was a healthy scratch for the first few games since coming here, but these past two games he looked really good. And I mean, he he had his first NHL goal, um, in, in one of the three in in the first period. And uh, and I mean, it was a clean hit that took him out. Um, but I just th- there are a couple of moments like that that just were, were real blows, uh, probably to the momentum. I you know I I will say this I loved his goal in the sense that he had the presence of mind to choke down on the stick like a batter protecting. Uh, with a two-strike count, he went way down on his stick because he knew he was going to have to, like, almost just push it into the net. And a lot of presence of mind there. He, and again, like you said, he's uh, two games, two points. 
So a good start for him. Three nothing lead. Uh, whew, that's a tough one though. Yeah, I was gonna say I uh, I liked what he did after the goal. Like the, it seemed like he was very enthusiastic, celebrating in front of the Flyers bench, and uh, kind of reminded me like uh, in the first game he uh, seemed to really like giving it to to his former team. Yeah. Um, like that, uh, he drew a penalty at the end of at the the, pro- the game before um, uh, raffle. It was a roughing call, and uh, it, it looked like Friedman might have gone down a little easy. Um, drawing that call, then he got up and he winked at Raffle. Um, but I, I just kind of like the attitude we've seen from him so far. And if I was, I mean, we we don't have an update on him yet. Uh, Sullivan said he was still being evaluated after the game, but I mean, that would be they're definitely not short on defensemen at this point. But that would just be a loss if uh, if he's out for any amount of time. I don't know how it looked on TV, but he looked very clearly dazed. Oh yeah, um, yeah. it did. You know, yeah, I. Well, no, I'll be shocked if he doesn't have a concussion. I mean, I, I obviously wouldn't know how severe it would be, but it's hard to believe that a guy could look as uh, as dazed as he did and not have some sort of at least minor brain injury. Yeah, he, he did look dazed. Uh, uh, Chris Stewart looked like was maybe trying to hold him back from, from moving too fast because he didn't look that steady. He did have uh, a guy or two holding him up. Uh, for a bit, you know, helping him off the ice. But yeah, that, uh, it didn't look good. I also wonder, too, he got hit earlier. Uh, Nolan Patrick yeah. had not hit, and he had a hit earlier in the corner, which I thought could have been penalized. I mean, yeah, again, it wasn't a... No, and it, it was, Tom. Um, that was, what, that was what led to that power play. Right. That, uh, it, yeah, it, he, uh, Patrick got a boarding call for that. It should have been a major. But it was a minor. That was that was the discussion. It was it was a penalty, but it it really probably could have been a major. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you and you, Mike. Yeah, I don't. I mean, the, the guys that are spotters obviously have a very tough job, and he looked dazed there. I mean, that was a you know classic hit from behind, push into the boards type of play, and good point by Taylor. You know, there, there could have been a could have been a major. They end up going just with a minor penalty. Again, this team's eight and two at home. They've been very good. They've been very good at home. They get another chance uh, on Saturday afternoon. They'll, they'll be playing uh, a weekend series, and then the Rangers on Sunday. Dave, I would think that we're going to see both goalies this weekend. You would think so. Um, you know, uh, I, I don't think you want to risk burning uh, Jari out. And, you know, Casey DeSmith uh, played pretty well in his last start. Um, I, yeah, I, I would be shocked if, uh, if Jari would, would play both games. Real quickly with both you guys, we'll start with Taylor. Just some of the coverage in front of the net. I, I, the, Matheson and Moreno seem to kind of have a, a difficult night. And I want to, you know, again, it's an it's a long season, even in, in a season like this. It's a little bit short, and it's still a long season. But those two seem to have a difficult night. There seem to be some communication issues. There were guys wide open in front of the net. Uh, what did you guys see on that? Uh, communication issues. That was something that uh, Latang spoke about after the game. That you know that's something that they have been lacking on this season. So I mean that's what I would I would put it on. Marino hasn't looked great really much at all this season math uh, matheson just pretty streaky but i mean dave david have a better uh probably analysis of that he was there at the game yeah dave jump in there i think again it's not a be all end all i think matt or marina was minus three tonight but uh just that that, well, that, they, that pairing has that seemed to have a rough night yeah they did but i mean the penguins in general lost the vast majority of the battles in, you know, in front of both nets. Uh, in their defense, there weren't that many battles in front of the Philadelphia net, I guess, because the Penguins didn't go there all that often. Um, but that that pairing wasn't the only one that had had trouble with, with the Flyers uh, around, you know, in front of Tristan Jari. They probably had more trouble than than the other two, but. Uh, the, the Flyers owned the front of the Pittsburgh net for, for most of the night. 
All right, stay with us. We will say the one the, the one drive to the net that was impressive was McCann's goal when it was 3 nothing. And, again, at that point, I think people thought they were going to bank two points. But they didn't, and they'll get back at it on Saturday at PPG Paints Arena. Please stick with us for our second segment of the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. All right, let's uh, let's kind of dive into some topics here. Uh, you know, it's it's been over a month now since uh, Jim Rutherford uh, kind of stunned the hockey world and, and, and departed as general manager, resigned. Uh, but he did make uh, a, a cluster of moves uh, over in the off season, kind of his last batch of moves. And I think for the most part, uh, they've been pretty good. Uh, let's kind of go th- go through some of the some of the players that you think have have played pretty well, and maybe one or two that maybe hasn't lived up to expectation of that uh, kind of last group of players that came in here. Taylor. Yeah. Well, the the biggest of the this past off season, um, Matheson, CC, two two defensemen um, that you know came in. I think no one was really happy with those um with those moves and they're they're not just like looking okay now they're they're really good um this, they both had kind of rough you know starts to the season matheson was hurt for a bit um but um i mean they're coming together now and then Kappen and the other one um he uh he's he's been he's been looking great too i mean he stepped up last game uh well two games ago with crosby out and um he just it took him a little some time to get going too you know he he was benched for the one game in the third period they had the he had the conversation with Sullivan it kind of just about like what's expected of him and then really since then um he does look uh completely different maybe looks like he's putting in more effort but I mean that's that's who I'd say of this past off season um I don't really know if I would say anyone isn't living up to expectations I mean you know someone like Sevier is not not very good, but I think that's that, that was expectations. Yeah. Dave? Yeah, and I think, I mean, we haven't mentioned Mark Jankowski yet. He, uh, you know, he came here having scored, I believe it was five goals for Calgary last season, and the Penguins spoke optimistically of uh, him producing at a greater pace uh, this year. Um, so far, I think that's looking overly optimistic. He <laughs> looks like he might have peaked in game one offensively. Um, I've, you know, I think the uh, the addition of Kapanen ha- has been really good. I, I seem to have fewer issues with what he's done uh, than, than Mike Sullivan does. I wouldn't go so far as to say that he's been singled out as a whipping boy, but, uh, you know, Sullivan has uh, certainly, I think, kept him on a shorter leash than, than most uh, – of the top six guys. Um, he's a good skater. I like the fact that he actually shoots the puck, which makes him stand out on this team. Um, you know, he, he didn't come cheap. They, you know, they, they paid a price for him, but, you know, he's a, he's a guy who could be around here for, for quite a while, uh, making a, a significant contribution. Speaking of paying a price, uh, obviously with Matheson, the, Probably the first thing that kind of always jumps out is that contract that they they kind of inherited when they they brought in. But I I've liked his play. I mean he's he he gives them an, another kind of a, a element on the back end. Um, and uh, as Taylor mentioned, a bit of a slow start, but I, I think he's played pretty well, Dave. Yeah, I uh, there's no question that he was uh, something of a gamble uh, based on the way he had played his final season or so in Florida. Uh, but you know the Penguins were willing to take the chance that the uh, the Mike Matheson they were getting was the one who had prompted the Panthers to give him an eight-year contract in the first place. And so far, I, I'd say that these scales uh, lean a little more in, in that direction than in the other. Um, you know, certainly I'm I'm sure that uh, Florida isn't unhappy with the trade because I think Patrick Hornquist has probably 
been more productive offensively down there that, than they could have realistically expected. But, you know, I, I really think the Penguins don't have many complaints with, with what they've gotten uh, from Matheson. I think he's been pretty much what what they uh, should have been expecting, uh, you know, on the upside offensively. And, you know, he's nobody's going to confuse him with uh, Rod Langway in his own end. <laughs> but, you know, he's, uh, you know, on balance, I, I think he's been a, been a plus for them. And that, I mean, that, that contract is, that's still a pretty bad contract. And, but I think, you know, looking at how much time left, what it's uh, five seasons after this one, um, I think by the time, you know, we're, we're at the end of uh, that contract, the the Penguins probably going to be a rebuilding, maybe bottom feeder team anyway, that doesn't really matter. Hey, uh, let me, uh, uh, let me hit, touch on one more point here real quick with Matheson, Taylor. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, sometimes it's good to kind of uh, – a change of scenery can be good, right? Mm-hmm. Matheson has kind of been dealing with this in Florida uh, that he was, you know, again, they, uh, an odorous contract. Get him a fresh start. Um, do you buy into any of that kind of stuff? And maybe Hornquist uh, has, has kind of got a kind of new lease on life too in, in a new environment. And the Panthers have been playing very well. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not so sure. Cause Matheson is kind of what he was, you know, he's living up to kind of the scattering reports that, you know, not that great defensively, but great offensive instincts. And we are seeing that now, maybe more, um, uh, we're seeing more of the offense than he he had at the end of his time in Florida. Um, I haven't s- seen enough of Florida um, to, to really speak to Hornquist because, uh, I mean, we're not the division, uh, so not watching a whole lot of uh, that division's games. But, um, I mean, I think that's true for CeCe. Uh, I mean, because, he, you know, he was good, you know, towards the end of his time in Ottawa, but then in, in Toronto he was like their Jack Johnson. Um, and I, I think that was, you know, the biggest signing that, you know, fans and, uh, we're, we're confused about at the time, but I mean, seeing him here, I, I, I really don't have any complaints about CC at this point. Yeah. All right. Let's stay, let's stay just with the defenseman for a second. Um, uh, at some point I was going to put, at some point the Penguins may have had to have Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari on the blue line. And Dave, I think you would have become like in franchise history, the second oldest player behind Larry Murphy. Uh, to play on that blue line. But luckily, uh, it looks like uh, reinforcements are coming in, and all of a sudden, uh, they're getting close to to health. And with the understanding that teams are never completely healthy and defensemen get hurt often, but once this kind of group does solidify and gets a lot of choice, gives the coaching staff a lot of choices, who do you like in your in your in your six players? Who are the who are the six that if healthy they're going to ride with right now? Dave? I I would probably go uh, Dumoulin, Latang, Matheson, Marino, and uh, who am I missing with Cece? Not Ricola. Uh, uh, I mean, there's a couple options: Friedman, Ruidel, um, Joseph. Uh, I mean, there's some some good players that we left out. Yeah, I mean, I I would want to go Math, with Mathis, Matheson if you want to keep him in, but oh yeah, absolutely. We just talk keep, about how good he's playing, but yeah, absolutely keep Matheson in. And I, uh, you know, I think they uh, when everybody's healthy, obviously they can go with uh, with lefty righty pairings, which I I think is uh, ideal. Um, you know, Math or uh, Friedman uh, played some on on the left side in his first game. Uh, I don't know that that was because they envision him as a, as a guy who would routinely be on the left side. Um, so I, I'm not sure that I would slot him in there, but you know, as, as you noted, Tom, you're going to have injuries on, on defense. Um, and you can pick your, your top six that you like, but you're going to need, you know, eight or nine, and if you get into the playoffs, you'll, you're probably going to need 10 or more who can play at this level. So, you know, it's nice on paper to pick your top six, but you shouldn't count on having that group intact for any extended period. Taylor, I'm going to ask you the same question in a second, but I want to 
want to ask maybe both you guys, Taylor first and, and Dave. Obviously, P.O. Joseph had a terrific run while he was in the right now. He's kind of been moved back to the taxi squad. If 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 we do get to a point where they're they're playing six and seven players and P.O. is not one of them, would you send him back and let him play in Wilkesboro and as as opposed to kind of staying here and just being on the taxi squad? I yeah, I would do that. Um him and Andrew O'Connor, but I mean for for Pio especially, just I think we all expected him to to play in the NHL this year. I don't think people expected him to come in and almost immediately go right up to the top pairing and play, you know, alongside Latang the way he did. And he did handle it well. And even, you know, the past twelve games he played before um he got put on the taxi squad, he wasn't bad, but he had he had cooled off. Um I think he he just needs to go somewhere and play, you know, in a role in, in a role that he's better suited for. Um, I mean, that has to be good for his confidence. Um, and then, well, and also because with, with the number they have, uh, that they, they have to figure out what they're doing, just you know, like roster wise. And um, he's the only one that can go down uh, to the taxi squad or right. ferry without waivers. And because I'm not entirely sure that you know Ricola or Ruido would would pass through unclaimed. Um, Friedman definitely would not because even if no one else put in a claim, the Flyers could just take him right back and put him on their taxi squad. Um, so if, if you want to keep, if you know, you, you have to get some of these guys off the active roster, if you want to keep some around, uh, for, you know, the future, because, you know, guys are going to never inevitably get hurt again. Uh, I mean, Joseph is, is the logical option to go down. Taylor, just stick with your, uh, give, give me your, if, if right now in a perfect world, Who's your, who's your defenseman once everyone's back? Well, I think of the of the ones currently on the roster, I I I'd stick with what with Dave said. Um, but I also think that with the number of defensemen they have, that maybe when they're all healthy, that all these guys aren't still on the roster. I think if they're going to make a trade, um, a, a probably a left-handed defenseman is the most likely guy to get shipped out. So uh, that it's hard to pick my pairings because I think. You know, probably it would, for me, it would be between Dumoulin or Pedersen. Mathis, and you're, that's still going to be a tough contract to move. Rico, you're not going to get anything back. Joseph, you just you, you can't move Joseph at this point. Um, if you're going to move a left-handed defenseman, Pedersen or Dumoulin, probably your best bets. Uh, I think Dumoulin would obviously bring a bit more of a return. Uh, I mean, but both of them are on good contracts. They're both young and, and good enough that you can, you can get a return. Um, I don't know what, what they'd be targeting, but if you want to make a move, I think you'd have to move one of those guys out. And then, you know, that's a different discussion for the pairings. Dave, just real briefly, jump back in there as far as what you would do with P.O. Joseph if he's not in the lineup, if he's not going to be in the lineup here uh, anytime in the next week or so. Oh, I actually addressed that in last week's Friday Insider, uh, Tom, and again, touched on it uh, in today's. Uh, in an item that was primarily about Drew O'Connor, but the, the same thing on for both guys. They absolutely should be in Wilkes-Barre. I, I think, especially in O'Connor's case, I, I, I think they're you know, stunting his development by keeping him here, whether it's on the NHL roster or the taxi squad. Uh, you know, I don't think he's quite ready for this level. Uh, in Joseph's case, um, I think he would benefit uh, both from a, a confidence standpoint and a developmental standpoint to go to Wilkes-Barre, play something close to Chris Letang minutes, uh, be used in every situation, um, you know, be the uh, the cornerstone of their defense core down there. You know, it, it's not an insult to a defenseman uh, his age, you know, to be sent uh, to the American Hockey League to uh, – to develop more. And I really think in the long term that will do him a whole lot more good than, than being on the taxi squad or, you know, even the 23 man roster would. Yeah. His, his I, former, his former defense partners from last season that they're John Lazat. They're so good together in Wilkes-Barre last year. He's still down there too. So you could uh, also reunite that pairing might be uh, good for just getting him comfortable again you know I think, yeah and i think we, we've kind of touched on this in the past that he's got the attitude i don't think that there'll be a problem some guys go back down and they they kind of just human nature sulk a bit when they first get there because they, they've been up I, I he strikes me as somebody 
that will get right to work and and and, and play pretty well. Let's let's move on to uh, another topic here. Um, you know how we make the sausage sometimes is not all of these segments are put in order. So we, we want to we'll throw that out there right now as we address this next topic. Um, uh, on Tuesday, assistant coach Todd Reardon and captain Sidney Crosby were put on the COVID list. Oh, that's all we know. We don't know if they are, they have COVID, they were exposed to someone or whatever, but they've, they've been on it. They were on it for at least two days to the point of the time of word taping. I think any team right now, uh, especially as we get further into the season, uh, there's concerns about having one of these outbreaks like New Jersey, uh, like Dallas have had where they're shut down for a week or two. I think the good news is we look at the numbers right now and there there are just fewer and fewer people on that list. But, of course, it only takes one little outbreak within a team uh, to – change that and change the direction of those numbers. Dave, uh, you know, what kind of concerns or what kind of things can the, the, the Penguins do to kind of stay away from that? Uh, I mean, there's only so much they can do to stay away from that because so many of them have wives and some of them have kids and, you know, they go, you know, they or their spouses or family members go to grocery stores or go to schools or go, you know, go to places where they're going to have, even if it's inadvertent contact with members of the general public who might well pass the, uh, the virus along to the family member who could then in turn give it to the player. When they're on the road, uh, the NHL has impose some really strict regulations on on what people in the traveling parties can do. And, you know, it's not quite a bubble, but it's really not far from it. And so far it seems to have been quite effective, but when, you know, teams are at home as, as the penguins are now and, you know, around family members, you know, there's, you know, the, uh, the team can try to protect them from, from the virus when they're at the rink or the practice facility, but when they're away, you know, there, there's only so much. And I think, you know, good luck has to uh, come into play at some point. Yeah. Taylor, the, the, how much do you think teams can do, can, can help? Obviously they cannot control stuff that's, that's going on in, in the homes, but when they're together, you, you read stories like this season, the Seattle Seahawks and the NFL, one of the only teams, the only team in the league, really that, that that was not really impacted by it, and you read all the things they tried to do with inside the building and things such as you know ordering all their food through the note meal app uh, instead of having people stand in line, and they even took that on the road with them. Uh, they had a little contest between the different position groups to 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 see who had the contact tracing type incidents. How 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 can they how can they in your opinion make sure that they're not one of these team breaks? Yeah, that's uh, it's tough because I mean a lot of it you know the NHL has mandated of you know like no meetings can be held um, like in person you know they can't be at the rink uh, too early to to t- try to limit exposure um, so the league is mandating a lot of things um, I know like individual teams. Uh, like, like from talking to the guys in, in Wilkes-Barre and the AHL, you know, they have like um, designated like shower times after practices or like they have to like wait their turns. So like no one's around each yeah. other anywhere. So um, I don't know like what maybe the, the Penguins are doing in that regard. I think the only thing um, that's really left up to the teams at, at the rink is um, how they're handling the taxi squads. Like the taxi squads can practice with the NHL group. And we have seen a lot of overlap. Um earlier in in the season um where guys would would you know skate with both i think the past couple of practice they have been um keeping them separate for for the most part which is um i mean good because if if there isn't some kind of outbreak um you know on the nhl team and for whatever reason they're they're still allowed to play i mean those taxi squad guys they need to be healthy too um so that they can do that uh because that, that yeah, that is left up to the teams. But other than that, it's it's kind of out of their hands. 
Yeah. Uh, and, and obviously something, again, that will be monitored, especially as this season goes on. Dave, we mentioned this in the last the, the last show about the, how crowded the schedule, the, how the games are going to come thick and fast here pretty soon. And for any team that it starts to miss a lot of games, all of those games that are going to be have to uh, be added on. So you do not want to be one of those teams. Uh, last topic in this segment, uh, Sidney Crosby, we spoke about him a week or two ago when he reached his thousand game mark. Uh, obviously, what a career. And I think we all agree that he's, he's still playing at a very high level. But if you look at the numbers through his first 20 games this season, yeah, he is, he is just below a point a game. And he has never in his career finished uh, below a point a game in his career. Um, is this something that's a uh, small sample size? Is it, is it suddenly just, you know, signs of aging that he, that, that maybe those huge years are over, not that he can't still be a very good player, a very good leader, be terrific in the playoffs, or is it something else, Taylor? What do you, what do you see? Um, I mean, it is a small sample size and I think maybe two other factors here. So, I mean, the, for a good part of the beginning of the season, uh, one of his fingers was Evan Rodriguez, uh, kind of a drop off from, from where he's been in the past. Um, he has better wingers now and we are seeing better production from that line. And then the other thing is just that the power play has been bad, um, <laughs> streaky, um, not really shooting. And I mean, if he's not getting points on, on the power play, then, I mean, that that's a huge chunk of scoring missing um and that would contribute to you know falling below a point per game um and it seems like i mean when, when rodriguez comes back he's not going to be on that top line i mean they they have you know the probably the top six figured out but i mean the the, the power play if, if they can get the power play going that'd be good for you know just his overall um scoring numbers yeah dave um I suspect that he will finish the season at or above the point a game pace. Yeah. And if Sidney Crosby's offensive production makes the Penguins list of top 10 concerns, then they're in pretty good shape. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, uh, I think he'll be fine. He, you know, his days of winning Art Ross trophies probably is over, but he, uh, he is still a major offensive force uh, with which opponents have to reckon. Right. All right. Good stuff. Uh, up next, uh, Colin Stevenson from Newsday will be joining us to preview uh, the upcoming series uh, set, set of games uh, with the Rangers at PPG Paints Arena. Stick with us on the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. Yeah, we're good, relatively good. You know what I mean? All right, we're recording now. Welcome back to the third segment of the 66 to 87 podcast here on DK Sports Radio. Um, after the Penguins finish up this uh, set with the Flyers, they will be playing the Rangers uh, uh, at PPG Paints Arena. And joining us now from Newsday, is Colin Stevenson. How are you doing today, Colin? Oh, I'm doing I'm doing great uh, as we speak. I'm, you know, just getting ready to go down to Newark, beautiful Newark, uh, to go check out the uh, you know, the the opener of the of the Rangers road trip which starts uh, against the Devils at Prudential Center tonight. Very good. Um, you know, one of the moves in the offseason here in Pittsburgh was that Jacques Martin uh, was uh, moved on and has now joined the Rangers. And it's kind of weird to watch the Rangers right now after last season where they scored a million goals and couldn't keep anything out of their net to uh, their top 10 uh, goals against average. And their, their PK, I believe, is in, in the top five in the league. How, how influential or is it more the players uh, has Jacques Martin been for this group? No, I, I believe that uh, Martin has, has uh, made an impact, clearly. The, their, uh, you know, their goals against uh, 
um, has uh, has improved significantly, and he's in charge of the defense. And the penalty killing, the team, I, I don't have the, the stats off the top of my head. I think they're 11 of their last 13, and they're very high in the penalty killing rankings. And uh, and that's all as a result of of, of Martin's uh, work with with that group. They've they've um, changed their style a little bit as far as penalty killing is concerned. They're a little bit more aggressive. Um, they do use a couple of different players. Uh, they did lose Jesper Faust, who was their, you know, probably their number one penalty killer. So they had to change change things up anyway. But uh, but they have a new aggressive style in terms of pressuring the puck and things like that. And that's all on Martin. So um, he's made a he's made a quite an impact on the team already. Here in Pittsburgh, fans uh, really have enjoyed uh, a man that they 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 got from Harvard uh, in. Uh, John Marino and uh, John Marino's teammate in Harvard has also had a pretty nice start to his career. Uh, how impressed have you been with Adam Fox uh, uh, coming off a good first season? He really seems to not only have followed that up, but taking it to a different level. Yeah. You know, the, the, the interesting thing is when we all knew about Fox coming into the team, right? I mean, he, he, developed uh, or he demonstrated that he was he was quite uh, capable of running a power play and stuff and, um, and and the surprise for us all last season was the fact that he could actually play defense too um, and, and they they kind of broke him in a little slowly they didn't use him on the penalty kill or anything like that but now they're using him in all situations and he's leading the team in ice time and he's uh, he's been something of a revelation um, he's he's I, I dare say from day one till now, he's been their best player. And um, David Quinn, the coach, is, is is one to reward good players who are playing well with ice time. And, and you can just uh, see how effective Fox has been by the amount of ice time he's getting. Yeah. Sticking uh, with the defense, I think, you know, Penguins podcast, we have to ask about Jack Johnson. He's back in the Rangers lineup playing, you know, more so maybe out of necessity. Just what can you tell us about uh, how he's looked lately, what you've seen from him? Um, you know, he had a rough start. I have to say, he uh, he had a he had a start where uh, he would make one egregious error in, in every game. He'd take a a really bad penalty, or he'd make a really bad giveaway or stuff. Um, but he hasn't been as bad lately. Or I shouldn't say that. That's that's kind of mean. He hasn't been as noticeable lately. He hasn't made that mistake. Um, he's been okay. Um, I would say in the last game against Buffalo, that that third pair with Johnson and uh, Libor Hayek, you know, they struggled a little bit, um, but you know, they didn't end up being on for any goals against. So so far, it's it's working out. What uh, what I can tell you though is that um, Jacob Truba, who's been out with a broken thumb, uh, skated this morning with the team at the morning skate. Uh, and he is, he was supposed to be out four to six weeks with a broken thumb. It's been two weeks, but now he's back on the ice and skating with the team and they're listing him as day to day. So Truba is obviously going to come back in and then somebody's going to have to go out. So I, I don't know, you know, Johnson is one of the candidates to, to go out if and when Truba comes back. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that one. Colin, Jack Johnson was a first round pick, came into the league with a bit of fanfare. Um, but not nearly as much as Alexis Lafreniere did with the, with the Rangers this year. <laughs> what have you made of him right. to, to this point in the season? I mean, he was arguably the uh, the, the most celebrated uh, newcomer to the league since uh, young Mister McDavid in Edmonton. Yes, and, and you know he's he's been good. He's been very good. He's been he's been good if you consider that he's a 19-year-old guy. Um, they have, uh, you know, Quinn has made sure to to give him ice time, and and he has he has not disappointed. However, he's also not lit the world on fire. Um, he's got uh, three goals uh, and 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 two assists, I think, in in 20 games. Um, not bad if he's a regular 19-year-old, but you know, for from for all we've heard, you know, I think. People are kind of left wanting just a little bit more. And, you know, we'll see. Um, he's also saddled with the fact that, he, you know, right now he's playing on the what's ostensibly the the first line. And 
you know, he's saddled with the fact that Mika Zibanejad has, has been having a terrible season for the Rangers. He's uh, he's only got two goals and, and seven points in, in 20 games. This is a guy who scored 41 and 57 last year. So, you know, it's not as though Zibanejad is, is creating a ton for Lafreniere. I mean, so, you know, the, the jury is still out on him a little bit. He's clear. He's clearly a good player. He's shown a lot of good things. He's made a lot of good plays. But yeah, that you know, I, I think people had expected that you know he might have ten goals by now already, which he hasn't, obviously. Uh, I mean, he's just one of the uh, the very skilled and uh, often entertaining players on that team. How though, in general, has the uh, the Rangers' season to this point gone in terms of expectations, either inside or outside the organization? I, you know, I think they're a little bit below expectations, to be honest with you, Dave. Uh, I think that, and it all stems from, you know, Zabanajad not being what we expected he would be. Uh, when you're number one center. You know, a guy, as I mentioned, scored 41 goals last year. He's got two this year in 20 games. Um, and, and, you know, there there are nights when, you know, he generates a ton of chances and, and you know, he gets beat by, a, you know, a, a hot goalie or something. And there's other nights when you don't notice him at all. And, and um, you know, he's a guy that's played 23 minutes in a game. And last game he played 16 minutes. So, I mean, like the, the, the team is finally starting to say, listen, we can't wait for this guy. We've, we've just got to kind of go in a different direction. And that really has held them back a little bit. Um, but overall, though, I mean, if you look at their record going into tonight, they're a game under NHL 500. I'm not sure how much better they they would, you know, you could have expected them rightfully to be at this point. They are the youngest team in the league. Um, Lafreniere is 19. Kako uh, just turned 20 last month. Um, you know, and, and they do have a rookie in the goal in Igor Shesterkin. So, you know, this is a guy who's proven he's not a 20-year-old rookie. He's 25, and he's, you know, he was a stud in Russia. So, you know, we expect a lot from him. But still, mm-hmm. I mean, they are a young team. And and uh, and in looking at the rest of the division, I, I don't know that most people expected them to be much better than what they have been to this point. So I'd say they're slightly under uh, where I expected them to be. But, uh, you know, I, I can't say that you know, ultimately that they aren't where they deserve to be. You know what I mean? Yeah. One of, and one of the losses right now, I mean, our Timmy Pinera and just what can you tell us about what's going on with that situation? If there's any update, if, if maybe you, there's an expectation of when he could be back this season. Actually. Uh, well, I, I can't say that there's um, any significant update, but, but I did ask uh, David Quinn today, if, um, if there's a, you know, a thought as to when Panarin might come back, because now, you know, as you know, to just just to recap, he it's about a week and a half ago. It was uh, last Monday that he went on um, on leave from the team after after that story was published in in Russia, in which uh, he was accused of of beating a woman uh, in, in Latvia 11 years or 10 years ago after after a game. He was accused by his, his then coach. Um, and and so Panarin decided to take a, a leave from the team. And so it's a week and a half now. And I asked Quinn this morning, like, you know, is, do we have any idea? And and the best he could tell me was he's getting closer. And he said, I'm not trying to be a wise ass when I say this, but he is getting closer. And then they think it won't be long. So I don't know. I mean, there was some rumors and reports that they had granted him a two week leave of absence, which if if that's true then you know we're, we're wrapping up the end of the second week he gave us the impression that it's not going to be much longer and i would i would imagine maybe sometime next week before the end of this road trip that you know they're going on a six game road trip uh starting tonight in new jersey um and the middle two games are in pittsburgh and then they finish up in boston so i would imagine before the road trip's over uh we'll get you know we'll get some clearer picture of when they're going to have panarin back uh, Colin, we'll get you out of here on this. The last time the Rangers contended, uh, their their best seasons were 14-15, but they were not strong down the middle. They they did not have, I think, Derek Steppen, Derek Broussard, decent players, but not those kind of game breaking centers you you want to have when you're when you're battling the LA Kings or or the Tampa Bay Lightning in high stakes games. And I think when you start to uh, maybe the fear right now. Uh, you mentioned Zibanejad's, uh struggles. 
is as they put this team together with a lot of prospects and a lot of potential in a lot of different positions, is that fear there once again that, oh, my goodness, they, they might build this and they don't have centers again? And, and yes. where does Jack Michael fit in all that, if, if, if he does? Yes. I mean, I think that fear is, is, definitely, uh, is definitely there. I mean, I, I think based on what they had seen from Zibanejad the last two years, and even before David Quinn got here, after the, the, the initial sell-off in 2018, um, you know, Zibanejad was a guy that they were feeling like, okay, we can count on this guy. He's, he's only going up. He's only getting better. He's 27. Uh, he's going to be our number one for a long time. Um, and clearly this season has has sort of, you know, alarmed them to some degree. And yeah, uh, if they could get Jack Eichel, um, I, I think they, they have to be in on that, right? I mean, they're, they're a team that could absolutely accommodate the, his uh, salary cap hit. And uh, he's 24 years old and he played college hockey for David Quinn uh, the one year he played college hockey. So um, yeah, no, they're all in on that. They, they'd love to get him, and and um, I, I won't say regardless of what the cost is, but but clearly you're not going to get a guy like Jack Eichel for spare parts and draft picks. They're going to have to give up somebody on their team um, that is going to going to hurt to give up. So whether that's you know Capo Caco or or uh, you know Keandre Miller or somebody like that, whoever it is, it's going to be somebody that they're going to you know not want to give up. And but you know, to get a 24-year-old number one center like that, um, you know, I, I, I got to think if they have a chance at all doing it, they're going to do it. Yeah. All right. Good stuff, Colin. Thanks a lot. Uh, uh, read Colin's stuff in, at Newsday. Uh, and as we said, the, the Rangers will be rolling into town here in the next couple of days. That's it for us today on the 66 to 87 podcast for Taylor Haas. And for Dave Molinari, I'm Tom Reed, and we will talk to you next Tuesday.